All right, well, folks, um, we like to uh, save uh, the best for last. And our uh, next speaker is certainly <laughs> one of the best uh, champions of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency innovation have uh, in Congress. Uh, before coming to Congress, uh, Mick Mulvaney received a degree in economics and finance. He practiced law, and he ran his own small business. And in Congress, uh, he serves on the Financial Services Committee with jurisdiction over banking, international finance, monetary policy, as well as securities and exchange. Uh, so I can't think of anyone uh, better positioned to take on the issues that we're uh, covering today. I can't think of anybody else who actually well, that's... <laughs> So it's, it's my great pleasure uh, to introduce uh, the Congressman uh, Mick Mulvaney, uh, who represents the 5th District of the great state of South Carolina. And here's a factoid uh, for you. The 5th District of South Carolina is the very same district including Gaffney, that is held by the fictional congressman Frank Underwood in the great uh, series House of Cards. Right. <laughs> now, I don't think that Congressman Mulvaney has much in common with Underwood, but just in case, I would strongly recommend that if you know it's good for you, that you clap early enough. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. The, the, by the way, the peach is real. Um, we don't call it the peach, though. It, it bears a striking resemblance to a, a <clears throat> part of your body, and that's what we call it. Um, thanks, Jerry, for having me. Uh, thanks also to Robin Wiseman for the invite uh, and to uh, Coin Center, and especially to Cato. Uh, this is an institute that has meant a lot to me for a very long time. My family was actually members, supporting members of this for, for a long time. Uh, and it's my first chance to get here to speak, which is pretty cool. Now, that being said, um, Jerry's made a tremendous mistake when inviting a politician to speak, which is he let me talk about pretty much anything I wanted to do as long as somehow it was related to Bitcoin and the blockchain technology. Um, so what I really wanted to talk about for the next couple of minutes is whether or not I could use this in my fantasy baseball league and or helping get my kids into college. But uh, apparently that's not of interest to you as much as it is of interest to me. So what I want to do today is talk about um, what the federal government should be doing in this space, uh, if anything? Perhaps the uh, question that a lot of different industries would ask. Uh, at Cato, I know that the, the, it's tempting to say that the answer should be nothing, that the federal government should be not doing anything in this space. That's the traditional Cato answer that you would give. I, I would suggest, though, today that um, that is not actually possible. Um, nor uh, is it necessarily advisable. It's just simply not the world we live in these days, nor is it conducive to the development uh, of the technology. Stop and think for a second what it would be like if the federal government, and I mean all of the federal government, not just Congress, but also the regulatory agencies, literally did nothing in this space. Could Bitcoin thrive? Could it grow? Could the blockchain technology uh, develop as it has and as it could? Uh, probably not. Um, keep in mind, this is a world today um, where we have things like, and I'll read them, the Bank Secrecy Act, anti-money laundering rules, know your customer rules, securities regulation, commodities regulation, consumer protection laws, and of course, the tax code. If the federal government at any level does absolutely nothing, stop to think about whether or not Bitcoin could even get off the ground. How could you sell something for $300 and then, excuse me, buy something for $300 and then turn around a couple weeks later and sell it for either $250 or $350. What would you do 
if you had absolutely no guidance. Do you have a capital gain? Do you not have a capital gain? Is it a currency? Is it like changing into, for, uh, into, into pounds or euros? Or is it something else? And if you don't know the answer, how would you behave? My guess is, as most folks would be, you'd be risk averse and not even put yourself in that situation to begin with. So if the federal government does nothing, I don't think the markets know how to behave. And if the markets don't know how to behave, then I think it's very difficult to adopt uh, a new technology. Um, besides, let's all face it, in the world that we live in, and this goes well beyond just the United States, the default setting these days is for the government to do something. Every time we see something new, there's this natural inclination. Uh, I know it is averse to the founding principles of this institute, um, but it's real for the government to simply do something. I'd be hard-pressed to think of any examples where the government did nothing. Even those who tell the story about the, the government taking a complete hands-off approach to the internet are actually not familiar with the, with the details. Uh, the government was involved at various different levels from the very get-go. It's not possible, I think, then, that we do nothing. And certainly, um, we've seen that even if the federal government were to stand back and do nothing, we're not the only government around and that there are other governments who would succumb to that pressure to do something, or that desire to do something. The states have already started to act. Um, I think the best example, in fact, I think the only example right now is New York. I think a couple of other states have looked at doing something but not finished it yet. I think California's bill failed. Um, but New York has actually taken action. So when they created this bit license, um, they have actually act. And I, I appreciate the opportunity, the, the, their desire, I think many folks in the room probably do, for them to be proactive. I think they were motivated by the right, uh, uh, right principles, which is to make sure they get ahead of the curve and maybe even allow the technology to thrive. But they have acted. Now, they may not have acted ideally. There may be weaknesses in the way that New York has acted. That's probably to be expected. My guess is by the time the next state acts as well, there'll be strengths and weaknesses in what they do. And as we go through this process of this great American experiment of having different states try different things, some things will work well and some things will not. But the states will act, and in fact, they already have. Uh, in this particular space, um, somewhat unique, but becoming less and less unique as our economy matures and becomes more globalized, we also have to consider what the international uh, governments are doing, what the international realm is doing. Again, even if the states did nothing, even if the feds did nothing, Europe would act, Asia might act, and we have to ask ourselves whether or not we want to be second movers in that technology, second movers in that, in that regulation. The days, I think, of us winning by default, since we have the largest economy, we have the deepest markets, we have some of the best technology in the world, we seem to want to assume that we will be the leader in not only this space, but in most spaces. And I think maybe in the last half a generation, we've realized that's not the case. We don't win by default anymore. And if we are going to try to take a leading role in the management and the development, the creation, the implementation of this technology, um, sitting back and doing nothing is probably not advisable. The UK, I understand, has already taken um, a step on what they call the Innovative Finance Lab, a public-private partnership to develop uh, blockchain and financial technology, and they've actually issued the first electronic money transmission license to a company called Circle Financial. We've not done that yet. But I th by the way, I think that's the same group that got New York's first um, bit license. But clearly, they're ahead of us on how to manage this, right or wrong, 
Um, and again, my guess is there's probably something's good and something's bad with it. Um, they are moving forward, and other countries will continue to do so. My favorite, we took this up a couple years ago when I was on the Small Business Committee. In fact, I have to thank Jerry. Jerry's actually, um, when he was here at Cato, was the person who introduced me to this very topic when I was in the Small Business Committee three or four years ago. And it was at that time that Germany had just taken that unusual step of declaring that Bitcoin was something new and something different. I think the issue had risen uh, within their tax laws as to whether or not Bitcoin was property or currency. And they actually said, you know what? It's neither. First country to do that, that I know of, by the way. And I think it's fascinating to see how innovative they were in doing that. Um, to say, look, it's not this, it's not this, it's something new and unique. Not very often, by the way, that governments um, admit that they have stumbled upon something entirely new. Uh, I want to do something that I don't usually do. I want to read something, um, mostly because I'm at Cato, but also because I think it's worthwhile, um, from the CNBC article, this is in 2013, about what Germany did. And I think when I read it, you'll understand why. Virtual currency Bitcoin has been recognized by the German finance ministry as a, quote, unit of account, meaning it can be used for tax and trading purposes in the country. Bitcoin is not classified as e-money or a foreign currency, uh, said the finance ministry in a statement, but is rather a financial instrument under German banking rules. It is more akin to private money that can be used in multilateral clearing circles. Quote, we should have competition in the production of money. I have long been a proponent of Frederick August von Hayek's scheme to denationalize money. Bitcoin is a first step in this direction, end quote, said Frank Schaeffler, a member of the German Parliament's Finance Committee, who has pushed for legal classification of Bitcoins. Um, anytime I could use the word Hayek at Cato, I'm going to do it. I was just stunned that somebody who's on the German Parliament's Finance Committee would actually be making that reference and talking openly about competition in the production of money and a scheme to denationalize money. What a tremendous opportunity. What, what, what just, I mean, that, that one sentence in itself, you could, you could give entire seminars on the, the, the potential for Bitcoin to do just that. Um, and the fact that the Germans have already grasped it. In fact, some of them grasped it in 2012, 2013. Tells us that maybe we are already a little behind the curve when it comes to how do we, we, writ large, as a, as a, as a, as a population and as a federal government, address this particular new type of thing. Um, of course, the original question as to whether or not we're going to do anything is rhetorical. We know we're going to do something. We simply cannot help ourselves from doing something. After all, that same public pressure that that's, uh, exists in the states to do something, present overseas, is, is present probably more so in Washington than it is other places. And we are going to do something. Uh, the real question then becomes, um, what? Um, thankfully, and it's not often that I can give this speech of having to deal on a regular basis with things like the CFPB. It seems that <laughs> what we've done so far hasn't screwed things up that badly. Uh, this is a rarity for us, um, and I'm, I'm kind of encouraged. I didn't get a chance um, to see uh, Mr. Giancarlo speak earlier, 
um, but I don't know if he used this language um, today, but he has used it previously. He said, regulators must cultivate and embrace new technology and not stifle innovation. This is a federal bureaucrat saying this. Um, that should be encouraging. Um, I, by the way, I wish maybe that that gentleman ran the CFPB or maybe the EPA or <laughs> maybe the White House, but no, that's another story. Um, if that really is the attitude of the federal regulators, and they are looking at their role as a way not to destroy and not to restrain, not to tamp down, but to cultivate and encourage, um, then maybe that explains why we haven't screwed things up um, too badly. All the major regulators have acted in the space, uh, the SEC, FinCEN, CFTC, IRS, and CFPB. Granted, it has been in an ad hoc manner. There has been no federal direction, either coming out of the White House or coming out of the Congress, on how to deal with this. Um, but it hasn't been that heavy-handed yet, and it certainly hasn't been negative yet. I do believe that what you're seeing is a rarity in federal regulation, which is a, 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 a light touch uh, with, an, with, a, with an awareness of what regulation can do if it is too onerous and too burdensome, especially too quickly. And maybe in that sense, um, Bitcoin and blockchain technology is benefiting from our experience with the internet. Um, even my Democrat friends who, who, who have never seen a regulation that they don't love when it comes to the CFPB recognize that the internet would not have been what it is if we had regulated it too heavily too early. So I think that maybe that experience is helping um, with how we approach the, uh, the technology that uh, supports Bit Bitcoin and the blockchain. So the question then becomes, if we are going to act, and we are, what should we do? Um, many of you come see me. Uh, I'm looking at the audience. I know that some of you have been in my office before, and they come and you see me about particular uh, issues. And you will recognize that the biggest challenge that you face on any issue that you bring before a member of Congress, or even a bureaucrat, would be to figure out whether or not the person you're talking to has any clue as to what you're talking about. Typically, the answer is no. By the way, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily stupid. Not that some of us aren't. Um, but uh, face it, the, number, the breadth and the scope and the depth of the issues that an ordinary member of Congress has to be familiar with is, is almost unlimited. I'll never forget the time that I was having a discussion uh, with members of my own party about um, corporate tax reform and I asked about when we were going to deal instead with individual tax reform. And they said, well, that's too complicated. We want to focus just on the corporate tax. And I suggested, well, you know, like 80% of the corporations don't pay the corporate tax because of the S-corporation election. Half of the 40 people in the room had no clue what I was talking about. Three of them had seen a K-1. And if you work in a small business, you know what a K-1 is. Um, it doesn't mean that they're stupid. And when people don't understand or don't know anything about blockchain and Bitcoin technology to begin with, it doesn't mean they're stupid. It simply means they haven't been exposed to it. If you have been a teacher or in the military or run a large corporation, you've probably never seen a K-1. And if you've never hung out with you know, Jerry for fun, you're not going to know what Bitcoin is for the most part. In fact, I could probably count on one hand uh, the number of people who actually have followed this topic generally in Congress. Certainly Mr. Goodlatte which is important because he chairs one of the committees that will ultimately have jurisdiction over this issue. Um, Mr. Polis, um, I spent a little bit of time on it. 
maybe Mr. Uh, Amash, because he's just into all things new tech and uh, internet-based and that type of material, and of course Massey. And if you don't know Mr. Massey, uh, Mr. Massey has an IQ of like 170, and he just knows everything about everything. Other than those four or five people, there's not that many folks who are yet up to speed on what this means. That's a shame, but it's a tremendous opportunity at the same time. Um, think about what you can do as an industry to sell this particular um, uh, idea. I'm going to meet later on today with a group of hardcore right-wing nutjobs, of which I'm one, and this idea of a, a denationalization of currency and a Hayekian, if that's an adjective, uh, approach to cryptocurrencies would be probably one of the most fascinating things we've heard about in the last three years. So the audience is there, and the opportunities are there, but right now we don't know enough about the topic in order to do a good job, a halfway decent job, on how to regulate it. And the last thing that anybody in here should want is Congress acting when it has no clue as to what it is doing. My guess is there's a lots of examples of us doing that, and none of them turn out very beneficially to whatever it was that we happened to be regulating at the time. So step one has to be educating Congress as to what the hell this is all about. I don't even own the stuff, by the way. But I, I, think, I think Massey does, and I think Amash and Polish, Polish do, but for the most part, none of us even have, would, would even uh, know what it is, um, and have certainly have not participated into this. As part of that education process, there's some things that, that you can focus on that we do sort of understand, but not as it relates to Bitcoin. How do we address the issue of custody and risk? Our entire regulatory framework for financial services, and that's where I'm on the Monetary Policy and Trade Subcommittee, which would be one of the jurisdictions, um, that would, one of the committees that would have jurisdiction over this issue. Um, and we are familiar with the concept of custody and risk. I'm a bank. You lend me your money, I put in a demand deposit, I understand custody and risk. How does that relate to what Bitcoin is? I recognize the fact that it's not that. So what is it? And how do you take what Bitcoin is and translate it into a language or at least a concept that someone who is familiar with custody and risk concepts um, can understand? Um, how can we provide consumer protections? The Mt. Gox um, example is probably one that will hang over the industry for a long time. So part of the threshold consideration is, okay, what have you done as an industry to make sure that that can't happen again and won't happen again? Most, most of my Democrat colleagues who, who clamor for more regulatory oversight in the traditional financial services field are doing so out of a desire for consumer protection. Some of them Elizabeth Warren wants the post office in the financial services industry. That's a different group of people. The overwhelming majority of the folks who are asking for more regulation are doing so for an, an arguably beneficial reason, which is consumer protection. So to those people, how do you make the case, look, here's how Bitcoin and blockchain actually offer better consumer protection um, than the traditional financial services model does. How do we handle consumer privacy? I just had an interesting discussion downstairs about the, uh, the uh, sort of the overlap between uh, the issues that face blockchain right now and what Apple has gone through until recently with its, with its phone safety systems. Um, how do you articulate that? 
especially to the people, by the way, who believe. Uh, again, if we know anything about block, blockchain as, as just a random member of Congress, what have we heard in the popular press? Number one, Mt. Gox, number, number two, this is what uh, the drug group, what was the name of the drug group? Uh, Golden, yeah, what, the, the, they were using this to buy drugs on the internet. Right? That's the two things we've heard. So the question then becomes, how, how, are we, how, are we, how are we dealing with that? How is it that this is actually easier for law enforcement, better for law enforcement um, to um, go after bad guys, for lack of a better word, than it is the transfer of $100 bills in suitcases? Um, because that's going to be a question um, that you get when we, uh, when we start talking about regulation. Finally, uh, and this is the big one, right? This is, this is, this is the ultimate question. Um, and I apologize for not being here earlier today. I was really looking forward to seeing the, the previous um, panels, and I hope it was discussed. How can we prevent ourselves from stifling innovation? Um, I don't know how many innovations, new developments, new inventions in other industries government has prevented in the last 10 years. But I know that in just the, uh, the industry that we have jurisdiction over my subcommittee, it has been literally dozens. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't get a prepaid, prepaid credit card anymore. Okay? That was an innovation in the financial services industry as a way to expand banking services to people who did not have a traditional banking relationship. Okay? You can't get them anymore because of government regulation. And I could go down again and again and again with a number of innovations in various industries. We all think about innovation as, as a new uh, thing that has been invented or, or, or a new piece of software. But it's in every single segment of our economy is constantly innovating itself, or at least it should be. And I can't tell you how many times government regulation has prevented those things from coming to fruition. How do we make sure that doesn't happen here? Because the potentials are fantastic. The potentials, and this is what I tell my friends, and I'll close with this because I have 20 seconds left. Um, what I tell my friends is that this issue is about more than just whether or not I can buy something on overstock with Bitcoin or whether or not I can buy something for one-tenth of a penny, something that you've never been able to do before on the Internet. It's more than that. Um, there are possibilities, as you know here, for things... Government benefit programs, the potentials there are fantastic. A self-enforcing SNAP program using blockchain technology, something that would appeal to both parties and something that has the potential to save the government billions of dollars. Voter identification. As we continue to lose confidence in the, in, in, in the voter identification process, how can blockchain uh, technology help bring that back? Securities trading, government contracts and procurement. The potentials here are limitless. Um, as long as uh, government doesn't get in the way. And my guess is if we spend enough time on it, we could probably figure out a way at the very end to have it help me win my fantasy baseball league and get my kids into college. Um, but that's another topic for another day. So uh, that is my time. They've told me that I can take questions and answers for a while. Um, I'll make up most of the answers if I don't know them. Um, the gentleman in the front uh, has a question. And I can see, yep, the, you, the gentleman in the, in the great, in the, in the, in the wonderful haircut. I call that the Tim Scott haircut, by the way, which the only- Hi, my name is Jack Crawford. I'm yes, sir. Uh, not affiliated with anybody in Bitcoin or cyber uh, financial 
things. But uh, it seems to me that uh, you're talking about Bitcoin as a denationalized money. Uh, but isn't the euro, the five countries in Africa that use the same currency, and the countries that use the dollar, aren't those all examples of denationalized money? Um, I had thought about it, but my immediate response to you is no. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The euro is a nationalized currency. It's just a basket of nations that have decided to get together. They, when, when I think when we speak about, when the German chancellor was talking, not chancellor, when the German minister was talking about um, Bitcoin's potential as a denationalized currency, it's something that no central government, no central bank has any control over. It just is. It's a private currency, essentially. It's not the same thing as a private currency, but it's something that even if the Federal Reserve got together with the European Central Bank, got together with their European and Asian counterparts, the Central Bank of China, and said, okay, we are going to change the amount of Bitcoin and change the value, they couldn't do it. That it is immune from those national pressures in ways that the euro and the dollar are not. So I think that's what that gentleman was talking about when he talked about the currency. In fact, um, there was a um, we talked about this at CPAC a couple years ago. In fact, I think Jerry was there um, about not not the similarities, not but the analogies between Bitcoin and a gold standard. There there are some uh, parallels between the two, and one of them is that a centralized government or governments cannot intervene to change its value. They cannot say it's worth more or less. They cannot print more or less. And it is sort of outside the bounds of the, uh, the control of uh, both politicians and independent banking uh, uh, institutions. Yes, sir, in the back. Or I, listen, I, if you guys want to, because you guys got the microphones, I don't care. And I can't see very well in the back with the lights anyway. Uh, Eric Grover, Intrepid Ventures. You touched on the the quote unquote regulatory innovation of of banning consumer credit with prepaid uh, cards. Yeah. Um, wasn't that the case that the, the administrative state in the form of the CFPB and its prepay rule uh, was really lawmaking and say, and banning uh, credit for thirty days? But Congress that wasn't the legislature making a law and banning it. No, we did not make a law and ban it. That was I believe that was a CFPB rule. Which the C, which is a rule akin to lawmaking. I mean, that was not the implementing a law that you you passed. Right. I'm sorry. And I'm, yeah. I, was, I was using that as as uh, and maybe I wasn't clear about this. I, I was not using that as an example of Congress screwing thing up because there's plenty of examples of Congress screwing thing up. That's just not one of them. But if we're talking generally here about federal regulation and about how federal re regulation, whether it be through legislative action or regulatory action through the executive branch. Can that have an impact of stifling innovation in financial securities? The answer is unequivocally yes. And the CFPB is probably responsible for more of that than other folks. Certainly, we have screwed things up in the past. But if I wanted to go down the list of things that, that have been stifled in the last couple of years, the CFPB would account for probably the top 10 of them. So I didn't mean to confuse between legislative practices and regulatory practices. Uh, yes, ma'am. Hi, Thea Knight. I'm uh, with Cato here. So I, I'm totally with you on the fact that the only thing worse than more regulation is regulatory uncertainty. But because of the blockchain technology and the number of different things that it does, mm -hmm. it, once you say it's, I mean, I think that the, you know, the German idea of saying it's not this and it's not this creates some more certainty. But once you say it is this, 
it seems like it limits some of it. And so much of our regulatory structure has to do with putting things into categories. Um, and so how, what are the questions that we should be asking and what are the questions that you know, people like us who do policy work should be asking to tee up these issues for lawmakers to make sure that we can frame the question and frame the discussion in a way that's actually going to be useful. Yeah, um, and, th and that's one of the, the interesting sort of, of intellectual questions, right, is do you really need external, how much external regulation do you need on a technology that by its very design is supposed to be self-regulating? I mean, that, that's, by the way, I don't know if there's any analogies and other things that we might regulate at the federal level of that. This is something new in that sense. But to your point about whether it's not this or this, um, and once you say it's this, and that sort of that 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 precludes it from growing or being something else or being considered something else, I, I'm sympathetic to that. But I'm also aware of the practicalities. I'll give you an example, okay? And come back to the, um, the I, I, I've bought one at 200 and I sold it at 250. I don't care what you call it, just tell me what to do. Am I supposed to pay tax on that gain or not? Is it long-term, is it short-term, is it treated the same as something else? It may not be a, um, a capital good, it may, not, it, it may not be like a stock, but just tell me if you're going to treat it like a stock or not. And maybe we can take steps along those lines and say, look, we don't know what it is, but for these four purposes, we're gonna treat it as if it was this. We're not saying it's this, we're not saying it's a capital good, but for taxation purposes, chain of custody purposes, inheritance purposes, it's going to be treated as a capital good. Um, so I, I think there does, that's when I talk about uncertainty. That comes mostly from the market, right? I mean, if I'm going to buy it, I want to know, I'm not going to go to jail for not reporting it properly, when I, not jail, but I'm not going to know I'm paying a, a fine if I sell it and I don't report it properly. So I'm with you and I, I think we have to be careful um, when we do put labels on things, because it may prevent them from growing and flourishing. But at the same time, I do think you need to give some certainty, if, if nothing else, to the market so that folks are comfortable adopting the technology. I hope that answered the question a little bit, maybe. I don't like difficult questions. It's, yes, ma'am. I'm a politician. We, we, we don't do well with easy questions, let alone hard questions. All right, I just want to pick your brain on something. Okay. Uh, Perry always... with the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Uh, so public sector use cases, you mentioned a few uh, where you see potential for blockchain distributed ledger technology. Right. Uh, I certainly can um, see a lot of benefit for this technology within various government um, services and architectures. How, from a business perspective, how would you go forward with that? Uh, government contracts can be a nightmare for any business to have to navigate through, especially with this being an industry of startups and um, smaller size um, entities. Uh, is this something you think Congress should um, release a study? In the UK, we saw the U UK's uh, chief scientist had released a paper about where they saw uh, this technology would be useful within the UK government. Um, where where would you start here? I don't know if there's a right answer or wrong answer to that. I, I guess that as you asked the question, the thing that came to my mind was, is there a way, is there a small area, say in the government contracting field, where the technology could be proven? If that's a pilot, uh, if it's a test case, if it's a study, I don't know what, I, I don't know the best um, example but how could you, if you're going to come to, um, to Congress at some point and say, look, we would like you to consider adopting 
um, the distributive ledger technology, blockchain technology in SNAP benefits, okay? One of our questions, and we'd be wrong not to ask it, is how do you know it's going to work? Because you can sit, as you've done in my office, and say, look, here's the potential for the technology, but show me how it's worked. Find a state that has tried to use it. Find a city that has tried to adapt it in, some, in, a, in a certain fashion. And bring us real-world evidence that it works. Um, my guess is when the government adopted, um, by the time we adopted, we allowed folks to file their taxes uh, on the internet. Um, that that technology had been proven at many, many different layers someplace else. We are not going to be good first movers. Think about who we are. We're a bunch of bureaucrats. Um, we are not innovators. Uh, we will go kicking and screaming into new technology. I don't even have a Wi-Fi in my district office in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Okay? So we are not going to be there on the cutting edge with you saying, you know what? Yeah, we're going to take a chance. Let's go. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna set the trend. We're going to get ahead of the curve. We're going to do it. That's not how we work. States might be, counties might be, towns might be. Go someplace and figure out um, in a particularly innovative area, I, the Bay Area, gets, get them to, to try it sometime and then uh, use that as an example. Studies help. I guess you can't hurt if you ask somebody, a member of Congress, to try and get a, a, a study commissioned by the, you know, by the whatever the uh, Congressional uh, Research Office is. Um, but the best way to move forward is probably to get a test case someplace else and prove to us that it works that it still protects people, still gets them the benefits in the case of SNAP, and can might save money. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Kyle Burgess from Consumers Research and originally from the great state of South Carolina. All right. First district, unfortunately. That's okay. <laughs> um, my question to you is... I know you're congressman. He's okay. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> My question to you is, you mentioned earlier there are maybe five members who are familiar with Bitcoin, and so how do, and also I met with Natalie a few weeks ago, you have one of the most responsive and just great LDs to work with. Um, how do, the, how does the Bitcoin community work to engage representatives and get them more, you know, education on this topic? Because if you go to a briefing, interns come. How, how do we get you all in a room? Yeah, and actually, and I think that's part of one of the places that, that the industry, at least, has done a pretty good job. Um, Jerry came a couple years back, was invited to speak to the House Financial Services Committee at our breakfast, our, our weekly breakfast. And then, what, 15, 20 members in there at any particular time? Um, I know that Perry Ann has been through offices and so forth. Yeah, are you going to get interns if you, uh, nine times out of ten? Maybe. Just find folks who are interested in the topic. Find folks you have that connection with um, who will agree to see you, the actual members. Or uh, if you get a really good LD like Natalie, and thank you for saying nice, he actually covered for me. I was supposed to give a speech like this at Georgetown three weeks ago and had pneumonia. She filled in wonderfully for me. That worries me about um, me. But, um, <laughs> but um, the uh, is, listen, it's just like anything else. It's just selling is all it comes down to. So figure out a way. How do, how do I find somebody who's interested? How do I... Find somebody who I know, maybe on another topic. Cato, by this, and I don't know who, um, how many folks in here are associated with Cato, in at least a dozen members' offices, if you, if, if you say, hi, I'm from Cato, or I'm from Mercatus, or I'm from um, AEI, we will, we will meet with you folks. Um, so because those uh, organizations, and there are several of them, I don't mean to shortchange anybody by not identifying them specifically, carry a lot of credibility, heritage. Um, so... Um, 
it's, it would be the same as pushing any other particular legislation. But the key is to find folks who are actually interested in it who are on the right committees. Um, so that's why Goodlad is important. Polis is a very sharp guy, and the Democrats look to him for good reason as sort of their gatekeeper on these new technology issues. They know he's up to speed on that stuff. Just like Republicans, even folks who can't stand Massey because he's this raging libertarian who lives off the grid and drives a Tesla, still know that if he understand, if he's into the technology that it might be worth listening to him about. So find those gatekeepers uh, and see if you can sell it to them. I think I've got time for what says I got a minute 12 or something. Yes, sir. Uh, Bill Schaefer, a company's called Epoch. We have a we have a mobile Bitcoin wallet, and we allow people here. We help people here to send money to their family. We convert it into mobile money in the developing world, so it's very efficient as far as permitting remittances. Our challenge has been, uh, you know, we followed all the rules. We registered with FinCEN. FinCEN uh, calls us an MSB, uh, sort of like the. Uh, Leftovers from choke point, banks uh, banks won't uh, take MSBs as their customers. So, by unintended consequences, a lot of Bitcoin companies got lumped into that that uh, bucket, uh, and that is uh, you know I personally know many companies who have struggled. We we thankfully now have a bank. It took me four banks. Uh, if you're going to buy cryptocurrency, you have to put that cash somewhere, and that and it's that is exactly right. It's a choke point. How can, um, how can you and, and folks like you uh, enlighten FinCEN and the FDIC and all these folks who need to sort of unwind that or enlighten the banks to uh, you know, allow this innovation to flourish? The Department of Justice and FDIC use to try and effectively shut down legal businesses that they don't like. Um, by the way, we want to know one of the frustrations in my job. Um, the FDIC admits the program exists and that they do it with the DOJ. The DOJ refuses to admit the program even exists. Okay, That's my world. Um, and what they essentially do is they go to banks and say, look, you are banking this, this industry over here. The, it's got some national attention when it deals with things like pawn shops and gun brokers and those types of organizations. Um, they're really, they're, they could be bad people. Now, we don't know they're bad, they're legal, but we could, and if, by the way, you really, th we think that you, Mr. Bank, um, should carry on your books um, a contingent liability for reputational risk. Because if these do end up to be illegal or doing something wrong, then you may have your ass their assets seized, you get in all sorts of trouble. So put something on your books about reputational risk. And when the banks ask the regulators, okay, tell us how to do that, the bank regulators say, no, we're not going to tell you how to do that. So the net result is exactly what I think is the intended purpose, which is the banks have been pulling accounts from these people. I have pawn shops in my district that don't have banking relationships anymore after 30 years because their banks have called them and said, our regulator says, you're too risky for us to do business with. And it sounds like you're caught in the same thing. By the way, it's much broader than I thought. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that a Bitcoin folks are, are getting wrapped up in it. The last group I met with that was caught up in it was independent ATM owners. Um, because apparently if you take out $20 at a time, you could be financing international terrorism. I'm not making that up. So the MSB. Correct. You've got, once you've got the MSB level, you've... The, so, so how do we fix it is your question, and um, we'll continue to do what we've done. Thank you for letting me know that it's, it's captured you as well. 
We've actually um, passed a choke point bill uh, out of the House this year to try and limit the, the FDIC promises us that the, 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 they admitted that the program was going on, admitted that it might have been abused, and then tried to convince us that it was, um, it was over, and all the anecdotal evidence is that it is not. So we actually passed a bill out of the House to try and rein in choke point. We'll continue to do that. Um, and if you want to grab Natalie or me on the way out, we'd be curious to know about the specific application of the MSBs, because I don't think that has come up before. Um, you held up a zero. Is that for the whole time or just for that question? Okay. I'm just here till, till Jerry comes up and tells me to sit down and shut up. I'm, I don't know how to end this presentation, so. Okay, that may be somebody's cue to come up and tell me to sit down and shut up, so. Thank you all very much.